Welcome to episode three of the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Brandon. And with you as always is Tyler. Tyler, you are always with me and it is greatly appreciated. We have had a whirlwind of a couple of weeks here on the program and have had some exciting opportunities. One, interviewing Billy Gillespie. If you haven't listened to that already, please go to episode two of our podcast stream and then also go to lexbuds.com and check that out. We're still kind of on a high from that interview. What an amazing time that was. I still, you know, looking back at it, it feels like it's been a month or two months away from the interview, but in reality, it's only been like a week or so. Well, everything feels like it's been one or two months away because we're all still quarantined and we have lost all concept of time, but you're absolutely right. Uh, just, it was so awesome uh, to get the opportunity to interview Coach Gillespie. I still can't believe that it happened. I'm still kind of in shock that we pulled that off. Yeah, it, it did happen, and don't ask me what day of the week it is today, or there's going to be a lot of dead air <laughs> on the podcast, and we don't want that. I can tell you that right now. Um, it's been a really interesting time for everybody, but what has been very interesting um, is UK sports. There's been a lot of transition with the team. I'm speaking about the basketball team. Some players coming in, some players leaving, and just a lot of news in between. So, do you want to talk about that a little bit? I, I know you've dug up a little bit on uh, the background of these players somewhat, right? Oh, yeah. I, I have done some extensive research on all of our new players. Yes. I can tell you their names. <laughs> and I might could tell you the school that they are transferring from, if you give me a minute. I'll give you a second. If you want to look that up real quick, please. Okay. Uh, so, coming in, we have Davion Mintz which I know you had a lot of fun on Twitter coming up with all the Mintz puns for his name. Mintz is too good of a name to leave out there and not have a good nickname for. I'm sorry. I mean, is it Junior Mintz? Is it Mintz Julep? Is it Mintz Meat? What is it? So we, many We have to use that. It's. I think it's one of the great last names in UK history, and it would be a shame if we went all season and didn't have a good nickname for him. So if you have an idea... Send us a tweet. We're at LexBuds uh, on Twitter and Instagram. Let us know what the nickname should be. It's got to be used at some point. It's too good of a name. Absolutely. Now, he is coming from Creighton. Did you see any Creighton games last year, Brandon? Can you give us any breakdown of what we can expect with Davion Mintz? Absolutely. So, you know, he's had some good games and some bad games. Uh, Creighton's won a few. They've lost a few. And, you know, overall, I think they're well-coached. And what other thing can I say about Creighton? I don't know. To be honest with you, when I hear Creighton, I think overrated team. They're always ranked in the top 10 or 15 because they don't play anybody. Is that bad? This, that's a very fair assessment, I think. Okay. Uh, I think we, we played them in the NIT that one year, didn't we? Didn't don't we? ask me, Tyler. Okay. I don't know anything about Creighton. <laughs> okay. But, uh, yeah, so Davion Mitz probably coming in to fill a backup point guard role. He averaged about eight points a game at Creighton. I, th I think we're we're set at the point guard spot with Askew coming in, uh, but this hopefully can provide some upperclassmen leadership roles. Uh, just be a solid, steady guy. Probably not going to be our top three, four, five scorers as far as points per game, but I think might end up being one of the most kind of steady. We know what we're going to get from him each game. Yeah, well, it's important on two fronts, right? So you mentioned it. It's important to bring leadership to the team. He's been in the college basketball world for a couple years now. To be able to bring that to Devin Askew is very important. You know, these freshman point guards, when they come in, especially the first few games, 
I remember even, you know, when John Wall was here, he had to hit, hit a buzzer beater against Miami of Ohio to win the game. These guys aren't a plug and play. They're a plug and you slowly turn them on, kind of like a dimmer switch over the course of the entire season. You switch it on and it keeps getting brighter and brighter and brighter. By the end of the season, the lights are fully on. But at the first half of the year, there are a lot of questions and a lot of you know leadership qualities that they need to develop. These guys are not going to come straight out of high school and just light it up. It is very rare. So to have someone like Davion Mintz, I think will help on the leadership aspect. And you want to also have somebody, when Devin Askew comes out of the game, that you can rely on that's not going to lose you points. Exactly. You don't have a huge drop-off. Like I said, you've got somebody that's going to be steady, that can right the ship if you know if we're on a tough road game, big road environment in the SEC that can kind of steady the troops. Uh, in addition to him, we also signed Jacob Toppin, who, if that last name sounds familiar to you, is the younger brother of Obi Toppin, who was uh, awarded as National Player, Player of the Year at Dayton. Jacob Toppin coming to us from Rhode Island. What do you know about Rhode Island, Brandon? It is, I know you watched a lot of Rhode Island games in well, addition to the Rhode great Island games. is the smallest state in the United States. Very good. Do you know anything else about I think that's the one thing everybody knows about Rhode Island. Do you know anything else about Rhode Island? I was really hoping you wouldn't give me a follow-up on Rhode <laughs> Island because I don't have it. I, I don't know. Jacob Toppin, okay, he's, he's the brother of Obi Toppin, the National Player of the Year. That's all I can go off of. And, and the only thing you can hope is that this is going to be a project that over time he's going to develop, even if he's not to Obi Toppin level, if he's 60% of that, we've got a good player and it's a good investment in the future. Because if memory serves me correct, I don't ever remember anybody talking about Obi Toppin when he was a freshman. Or sophomore or, or junior. Exactly. Yeah. So And he turned out to be National Player of the Year. So if Jacob Toppin can turn out to be anything remotely close to that, I think it's a win. You've got a multi-year player that can come in and provide steady leadership to the team because he's going to be here for a couple of years at least. Yeah, I think that's a huge point, the fact that this is potentially a guy, and we've said that about a lot of guys who we thought would be two or three or four-year guys who ended up not being that. But theoretically, this is a guy who could be here a few years and develop and be a great player in a couple of years. Yeah, and you bring up a really good point too because... <laughs> There are guys that come in that I'm thinking, oh, this is a great three-year player. Well, heck no, they're not because they're transferring. Yeah, they either transfer or, you know, you have somebody like Tyler Hero or Devin Booker who you expect and then they just explode and then they're only here for one year. Or even like Johnny Juzang from this past year. I thought he had a great freshman year. If you compare it to freshman, let's let's go pre-2010. Before John Wall comes in and starts doing all the, the one-and-done stuff. Before that, if you would have looked at Johnny Juzang's freshman career, you would say, wow, this guy is an up-and-comer. He's going to be an incredible asset to the team for two to three more years. And if he plays his cards right, he's going to end up in the NBA. But for some reason, we cannot keep these guys around. If they're not averaging 12 to 15 points a game as a freshman, they transfer. If they do average 12 to 15 points a game as a freshman, they leave. We're, we're in this quandary where we have these freshman people, you know, these freshman players coming in, and it's feast or famine. They're either going to the NBA or they're transferring. And I, it's very frustrating. We do. It's very difficult, and I, I think I'll probably hit on that in a few minutes. I, I have some things to say about, Ooh, e, about EJ Montgomery say. in just a little bit. Uh, I do want to ask you one more question sure. about Jacob Toppin. 
the younger brother of Obi. Are we getting, Brandon, in Jacob Topping, the Rod Belding or the Richard Belding of the Toppin brothers? Oh, jeez. Oh, man. Okay. Now, for, for those of you who don't know those names, uh, I'm very sorry for you, but those are two characters from the greatest 90s sitcom, Saved by the Bell, Richard Belding being the Bayside High School principal. Mm-hmm. Tell us who Rod Belding is. Oh, jeez. Okay, so Rod Belding is the super cool younger brother that comes in and basically is a substitute teacher and wants to take these kids on a, a cool rafting trip somewhere. I don't remember exactly, but long story short, he's Richard Belding's much cooler younger brother. So you're asking me if Jacob, Jacob Toppin is going to be Obi Toppin, National Player of the Year, if he's going to be the Rod Belding of that. Is that correct? Yeah, so I want to know, you know, are we getting... The cooler build, building or the better building? Because everybody knows that, you know, Zach's last line at, at the end of that show. So what are we getting? First, yeah. Are we getting the better building or the cooler building? Well, first of all, you're going to make me tear up because that was an emotional episode, and I really love it. It was a signature moment in my childhood growing up. I don't like to compare anybody to Rod Belding because Rod Belding was a jerk. I didn't really like him. So for me to say Jacob Toppin is like Rod Belding, I, I can't say that. Is he the better building? No. But I also don't think he's Rod building. I think maybe he's Billy building. Maybe the untold <laughs> other brother of the building family. There's so a Billy we, building. There's a Billy this. building, and we, wow. don't, we don't know about him. A whole unexplored building. But in my world, Billy building slash Jacob Toppin is going to be a guy that develops and learns and grows as a human being and serves us as UK fans. Okay, now follow-up question. Is, that, is Rod and Richard the best TV brother combo? If we're talking best TV brothers, are, are they the best one? Because, you know, Rod never showed up again, so I don't know if they can be classified as the best. No. Who, who are you putting at the top of your TV brothers list? Oh, my goodness. This is. Are you talking about brother brother or brother sister? Or what do you, what do you I, think? I think, I think brother, brother brother. I mean, my mind initially just goes to Boy Meets World. Yes. Amen. Yeah, I think it's got to go Corey to Corey and Eric. Yeah, Corey and Eric. Uh, before Eric started getting really dumb like at the end of high school going into college, something happened to his character. And I, we have totally derailed on this podcast, by the way, but that's what we do here. We talk about whatever we want. Eric got a little dumb when he started going to high school and college. They changed his character. I didn't like it. It was a little ridiculous. At some point, he changed his name to Plays with Squirrels. Eric? No, not Eric. Not anymore. My name is Plays with Squirrels. And, it, yeah, it just was absolutely ridiculous. Yes. And how many people have turned the podcast off now that we've talked about Boy Meets World? Well, I think nobody in the uh, 30 to 39 age range has turned it off and are actually enjoying this much more than our discussion of Davion Mintz and Jacob Toppin, who yeah. I freely grant you know nothing about, as I said earlier, other than where they are coming from. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I, I got to go with Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World's where it's at as far as brothers... Uh, go to me. I, I I think you're leaving out a couple big ones. Oh, oh what? How about, how about uh, Daryl and Merle Dixon, Walking Dead? You best shut the hell up! Or what? You gonna come up here and shut my mouth for me? That was good. Yeah. Okay, okay, that was good. Still not better than Boy Meets World, but continue, please. Okay. And uh, if we're just looking at Game of Thrones alone, you've got multiple sets. I mean, I think... Uh, uh, Tyrion and Jamie being the, the best of those brother oh. combinations. Lannister always pays his debts. Wow, that really hits hard. Yeah. Oh, so, man. 
You've really put me in a spot now. <laughs> you know, I didn't see this conversation going here at all. When we uh, when we turned the recorder on, I didn't see this going this way, but maybe Tyrion and Jamie Are they, man, are they moving up to the top of your list? You, you know what? You could have convinced me. Mm, okay. But, you know, again, Boy Meets World played such a pivotal role in my upbringing. It's hard for me to to go against Corey. I'm sorry. Okay, fair enough. Maybe we this could be a post on the site later where we rank the top brother TV combinations. That'll be like, what, four, four or five different groups? There won't be much, right? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like there's some more we're probably thinking about. If you know of any other famous TV brother combinations, send us a tweet, please, at LexBuzz. Yeah. Um, next, Brandon, I want to talk a little bit about... The departure of this week, E.J. Montgomery, he was kind of the last person to make a decision. We've already seen quickly Maxine, <sighs> Hagens, Jeez. Richards, Sestina graduating, Whitney deserting us mid-season, Johnny Juzang transferring, Montgomery the last one. I think we kind of thought at the beginning of the season that we might be looking at a junior E.J. Montgomery. Well, I got to take a deep breath on this one. You know what? I, I feel like before I get going on this one, before I get start going on the EJ train, and not just the EJ train, but what's going on train in general with the Kentucky basketball team, maybe we should take a break, collect our thoughts. Let's, let's, yes, let's get composed. We need to get composed because there, there's a lot to say here. I think there's a lot of frustration in the fan base about this decision. Yes. And, and we'll, I think we need to talk about it. Yeah, let's talk about it. Let's take a quick break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about uh, EJ Montgomery and the basic buildup and everything else to do with the U.K. basketball team. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. Uh, we left off the end of the last segment talking about the decision from EJ Montgomery. He's made it official. He's declaring for the draft and will not be returning to the University of Kentucky to play basketball ever again. Brandon, your initial thoughts on EJ's decision before I get into mine. My initial thoughts beyond the rage that he left is, you know, I don't think he's ready. But I have this. I feel like I'm having this conversation in the last five years more than I've ever had to have it in my life. My first thought is, how in the world is anybody going to pick this person to go to the NBA? They have they have proven nothing. But if anything tells us that that mindset is ridiculous, look at the last five years of people leaving the University of Kentucky basketball program. There are people leaving left and right that give us very little on the court but somehow project themselves to be NBA-ready. That's frustrating, in my opinion. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm the only one. Maybe I'm crazy. But it feels like it's a more frequent happening, and I'm still not sure how to deal with it. No, I, th I think you've hit on a nerve with our entire fan base right now. That people well, What are... do you think? What do you think when you see stuff like this? i got to ask. It's extremely frustrating. If if I could specifically talk about EJ for for a few, do we have time? Can I talk about EJ for Ooh. a few minutes? Wow, I can. You know what? You got that crazy look in your eye, and <laughs> Harry? Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you got that crazy look in your eye. You know what? I, I'm interested to see what's in the Tyler jukebox right now. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a quarter in, and uh, let's see what the uh, Tyler jukebox has to say. I'm gonna put it on the EJ Montgomery song here. 
Okay, you, you tell me what you think. I'm interested now. All right, so I, I knew from the minute that the coronavirus stuff hit and all these players went home that we were going to have some kids make some poor decisions. Because here's the problem. Uh, these kids go back to their hometowns. They start getting all these people in their ears. And we've heard the stupidity from E.J. Montgomery's father, who came out in an interview and said something that, why would E.J. need to come back to school? He's already proven that he can do everything that the NBA needs. Really? E.J. Montgomery has already proven everything for the NBA. Uh, let's, let's take a look. E.J. Montgomery averaged six points a game as a starter for UK. As a starter. Okay? He's what? 6'10", something like that? He averaged five rebounds a game. I didn't look at our other guard stats, but I bet quickly and Maxi and Hagens, some of them got close to five rebounds a game. His dad also bra bragged about his offensive game. Okay? He shot 16% from three. 16%. What in any of that translates to the NBA? Okay, so you're a big man who can't score, who can't rebound, who can't shoot. Uh, he's not strong. He's not physical. I would say the word I would like to call him right now, but I'm going to refrain. He's a pansy is what he is. <laughs> he, <laughs> he got to the free throw oh, line. Oh, man. Okay. How, he averaged one free throw attempt per game. So what exactly are we supposed to be seeing that tells me EJ has any amount of readiness to play in, in the NBA? Okay, but this is what EJ hears when he goes back home from his dad. And you know what? This is a problem with so many of our players. I think it's the problem with Khalil Whitney that athletes' parents have an unrealistic expectation of their children's abilities. Now, I could get into a whole rant on this, Brandon. Now, you know me having spent time as a middle school, I coached boys and girls middle school basketball for several years. Okay? The unrealistic expectations of parents. Every parent thinks their kid is the next superstar. And then when you get to the level of E.J. Montgomery, it's even more so. Because okay? he was obviously a star in high school, very highly touted recruit, a top 10 recruit coming out of high school all the makings of future NBA stardom but what has he done Brandon what has he done what what would you say you do here wow so <laughs> I gotta take a deep breath for a second Ty that was that was that was interesting and I had no idea you had these deep-seated feelings I are you saying this about EJ, EJ Montgomery or are you saying this about a number of players you've seen in recent years, is, is this all? Is this a culmination of what's been going on, or is this specifically focused at EJ? It's definitely a culmination. I think this is just kind of my person. This is the straw that broke the camel's back for me because I'm just so sick of it. I, what has he done to earn his scholarship the last two years? What has he done? Okay. I, I think we need to right now. We need to send EJ Montgomery a bill for his tuition for the last two years, and he's to pay back the university. Because he was not worthy of that scholarship he earned. Holy cow, Todd. Okay, i got to calm down here for a second. Let, let me play devil's advocate for a second. And, and first of all, let me ask this. If E.J. Montgomery is sitting here across the desk from us right now, are you going to use the word that you used to describe him earlier? I would. He would probably cry if I said it, because that's how big of a pansy he is. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> 
I'm sorry. I didn't see that coming. Uh, <laughs> okay. I don't even remember your question. You, you, you have totally thrown me off base here. I mean, I'm sure he's a good kid. He seems like a nice enough kid. I, you know, he never got into any trouble that we're aware of <laughs> while he was at Kentucky. But my goodness, man, grow a backbone. Just because your daddy says you're good enough to go to the NBA. And, and you know, he's thinking, oh, I, this cow just didn't use me right. Like, if I'd played for somebody else, I could have been a star. But Cal just didn't set up me to use my skills properly. You were a starter. You had every opportunity. And you chose to spend the entire game, instead of driving to the goal, with your 6'10", 230-pound frame to drive to the basket and get fouled, oh, I think I'm going to pull up for a 17-footer here and, and brick it. And Okay. I, I okay, I get where you're coming from. Because it, this goes back to the last segment we did with Obi Toppin. Obi Toppin, very obscure name until he just blew up one year, and now he's going to be a you know a top pick in the draft. He's National Player of the Year. Now, would EJ have been done all that? I don't know, but I think it does prove that if you just take your time and don't be in such a damn hurry, that you may reap some benefits out of all this stuff. There may be some benefits to being coached by one of the top coaches in the entire world. For another year or two, what is the downside? We saw what Nick Richards did. Do you think sophomore Nick Richards comes out and goes to the NBA? Heck no. There's not a chance. But look what he's done for himself now. He's put himself into SEC Player of the Year contention all because he was patient, took his time, and trusted the process. I know we hear that a lot. Trust the process. Exactly. But a lot of guys do not. And it's been going that way. I remember the first time I started getting really aggravated with this whole situation was Jared Vanderbilt. That one really stung because as a fan, you don't feel like you got anything from Jared Vanderbilt and that team, and yet they leave anyway. The conversation has shifted from, I don't know if you recall this, let's go back a little bit. So when Wall and Cousins were here and Davis and Gilchrist, it was, you know, hey, if they're a lottery pick, they have to go to the draft. They can't stay here. They're a lottery pick. Well, a couple of years later, it turns to, well, they're going to be a late first-round pick. You know, they yeah. got to go up Get that guaranteed money. Yeah, in the get first that round. guaranteed money. And then the next thing, you know, it's like, well, you know, they'll get drafted second round. At least they'll get picked. And then it turns into a couple of years later, well, you know what? If they go undrafted, they get to pick any team they want. <laughs> yeah. Well, where the hell do we stop all this stuff? <laughs> I mean, at some point, it's like, what do we as fans get out of this team? It and this, I'm interested to see what happens with this year's team. I feel like we've moved the goalpost a lot in what we expect. We've moved from okay, go if you're a lottery pick, go if you're a first round pick, go if you're an early second round pick. Hell, go undrafted, you'll get to pick your team. Where does it stop? And I don't think it serves the UK program at all. Exactly. Uh, it seems that these players are using the program in some ways and getting their own benefit, but the program is getting nothing in return. Um, I mean, we, we've heard Cal say it many times that his goal is to get guys to the NBA and that by making them better, the team will be better, yada, yada, yada. But it seems that we are not even getting that in recent years. We haven't been to a Final Four in five seasons. We have not had the perennial talent coming in. We've We've had a lot of bad losses in the last few years. and Evansville. Evansville, Evansville, Evansville. Yes. So I, I, just, I, I feel like EJ and a lot of these players 
use Kentucky to get what they want, and then we get nothing back, which is why I'm sending him a bill for his tuition. <laughs> well, you know, in a way, I kind of agree with you. I didn't know you were going to go down this route, but I feel like we as fans don't get in what in return what these players are getting. You know, I feel, you know, the name on the front of the jersey means nothing, and then maybe that's the way it is in all of college basketball now. And if you're going to take that argument, that's fine. But I just think that sucks for college basketball, and it's really bad for blue blood programs like Kentucky. You know, you want players to stay around and, and play. I mean, Jamal Mashburn played three years here, one of the greatest players to ever play. He could have left it when he was a freshman. Absolutely could. You know, I mean, it, it's just very frustrating as a whole, and I totally get where you're coming from. I'm actually glad you brought it up because I had been thinking this for a long time, and you almost start to get this feeling of, you know, when a player comes in, even if they're a, a top 50 or 100 recruit, you think, okay, well, they're going to transfer for sure because they're not going to get a play and they'll be out of here. We just saw that with Johnny Juzang yep. this past year. We saw it with Khalil Whitney, a top 10 prospect coming out of high school. They don't get what they want, they leave. To hell with the rest of the team. They will get what they want. That frustrates me Yeah, a it, lot. It just seems so very short-sighted. You figure down the road these kids are going to realize they made a mistake, but you just want to like grab them and shake them and say, "Hey, what and what the hell are you doing? What are you thinking, man? <laughs> like, stop and think for a second. Quit listening to all the people in your ear that are not looking out for your best interest, that are just trying to make a buck off of you, which is pretty much what most of these kids are hearing in their ear. People who want to take advantage of them uh, and try to make something off of them. Okay, John Calipari is not." That type of person. He genuinely wants these kids to do well and succeed. I mean, I, th I think sometimes in the detriment of the program, he will do what is in a kid's best interest. But I guarantee there's no way Calipari thought EJ was making the right call in this decision. And I, I can tell you, everybody, I, I, w I don't want to say everybody because i got to be really careful, but UK fans are on board with that message as long as you're getting the final force. That's where it stops. People will give you the benefit of the doubt if you are winning. Now, we don't get me wrong. We are winning. But we're not winning like we're used to. And, okay, boo-hoo, first world, UK problems. We're not winning 35 games a year. Boo-hoo, Crimea River. But reality is, if you're going to take that mindset with this team and build this team every year like that, you've got to give us something. And we ain't getting it right now. That's my biggest fear. That, that That's one of my big frustrations is, okay, I can deal with it. As long as we're making Final Fours, we don't have to win the title every year. I mean, reality, we won eight titles in a hundred some odd years of the program being in existence. It's not reality that we're going to win every year, but we're not getting there, and it's very frustrating. I don't know. Maybe it's just me. Obviously, it's not just me. No, it, it is not. I, I feel like uh, we've, we've definitely hit on a nerve here between the two of us, and I don't think it's just us. I feel a lot of fans out there feeling the same frustrations we do. Because I'm with you, Brandon. If if we don't make a Final Four, I don't consider it a successful season. Whether that's fair or not, that's, that is my baseline. Final Four is a good year. Anything less than that is not a good year. I don't care how good the regular season was. don't care if we won the SEC tournament or not. It's Final Four or bust for me. And like I said, it was great the first few years when we were making Final Fours, playing in championship games. We could deal with the turnover then, but now we're seeing guys bolt without much success by UK standards, and it's very, very frustrating. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. 
it's been a while since we've been in a Final Four. Um, I don't know. It's just tough to deal with all around. I'm glad that you opened up the can of worms on the on the rant segment. Was, I, that, was that too harsh on EJ? Other than the fact that you called a 20-year-old kid names and told him that he sucked and that his dad was an idiot, I don't think that it was that bad, Tyler. Okay, okay, good. I, I was a little worried it might have been too much. You should sleep well at night. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate that. <laughs> anyway, we, we've got more coming up on the show. Uh, make sure you stay tuned. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll see you in just a bit. back here on the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. As a reminder, check us out online at LexBuds.com at Twitter and Instagram at LexBuds for uh, all the latest uh, content. And Tyler, just on the on the back of that last segment, I really hope that you do not run into EJ Montgomery um, out in public anywhere. Just to be honest with you. I mean, I'm really not worried about it. All I would have to do is box him out and he would run away screaming like a little girl. So. <laughs> Holy cow. You're not going to stop, are you? This is going to keep going, isn't it? Uh, yep. I, I, I think, uh, yeah. No, I got no problem criticizing EJ. You're, you're just saying that because you know he's back home right now and, and he's quarantined. Is the only reason you're saying that? I'm convinced. That's probably true. If, if he was standing here, I would not say those things to EJ. He's <laughs> I don't six, know. He's 6'10". He would stomp on me with his foot or I don't know. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. So, Moving on to a little bit more uh, basketball news, Coach Calipari was on, uh, obviously, with the Coffee with Cal segment with Mark Cuban. I love Mark Cuban, first of all. I, I know he's kind of an, an out-there kind of personality. I've always liked Mark Cuban. You know what you're going to get when you talk to him. Always appreciated him. And I watched Shark Tank. I don't know if you ever watched that show. Oh, dude, let me tell you. Um, my wife and I have completely different TV viewing habits. There are very few shows that both of us will watch. One of those is Shark Tank. Wow. So, yeah, it, it's it's on our TV quite a bit because it's one of the few th- things that we will both agree upon. So, yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge Mark Cuban fan. love Shark Tank. Yeah, that's cool. So, so Coach Calipari is hosting the show called Coffee with Cal. Everybody's trying to get creative during this quarantine time to figure out ways to connect with the audience and just basically keep their voice out in the public. So in this Coffee with Cal uh, episode in particular, Mark Cuban comes on. And they talk about all kinds of different topics, but I think the one that's most pertinent to University of Kentucky fans is the fact that, you know, I, as far as I know, Mark Cuban is an Indiana University graduate. Is that correct, Tyler? I'm I, sure you know his whole biography. I'm, I believe that is accurate, yes. He's, okay. he's an IU grad. And they brought up the fact that, you know, IU and UK should start playing again. This The series has been on hold for a while since the Anthony Davis team. I think I think it would be safe to say because Calipari didn't feel comfortable with the home environment that Indiana University provided would be the politically correct way to state it. I heard it was an absolute mess. Uh, players' parents were getting taunted and, and yelled at some very obscene things. And he basically vowed to never, <laughs> I'm not doing it. Yeah, I think he said that walking off the court is the rumor. He said walking off the court, we're never coming back here again. Okay, so so it's been pretty far removed from that, all right? So that was 2011, I believe. Yep. We're almost coming up on 10 years since the last time this series was going on. So I think it's pretty safe to say we've, we've had some time to take a breather. We've had time to evaluate. Do we think it's a good idea to reinstate the UK-IU series, whether it be a home-and-home home or a neutral site game? Do you feel that it's an important enough series to continue forward? 
Well, I mean, I think one thing you have to consider is that Calipari is not going to agree to a game at Indiana. I, I think first and foremost, we consider and talk about whether it needs to be, but it's not going to happen. Cal is not going to agree to it. Now, my personal take, I, th I think Brandon, you and I are kind of at that age where we kind of just missed the rivalry, the heated rivalry with Indiana. We kind of caught it at the end, you know, early night. I remember watching, you know, like Calvert Chaney playing yes. and Bobby Knight was still there. But I, I didn't grow up with a huge, deep hatred of Indiana like people that maybe it's slight generation ahead of us or a few years ahead of us did. So do I personally care about playing Indiana? Not really. I mean, I'd rather play Indiana than some of the other crappy teams that we scheduled and fill our home conference schedule with, you know, the directional schools and <laughs> all, all those places. I would much rather see Indiana than them, but... Is it really a high priority to me as a UK fan to see us play Indiana? Not really. Yeah, I feel like the series is almost kind of a tribute to days gone by. You know, like, okay, that was that would be a nice nostalgic game to play. But in, in just for me, I do remember the games at the Hoosier Dome with Calvert Chaney and Jamal Dome. Mashburn. And you would be so excited for those games. I mean, those were premier games. You had Bobby Knight on the sidelines you ain't got Bobby Knight anymore. You don't have a a Hall of Fame coach on the other sideline coaching. You don't have, you know, National Players of the Year or All Americans playing at Indiana right now. I mean, who's the who's the last one? Uh, they they had Romeo Langford a couple years ago. That's was he an All American? I don't know. He was a McDonald's All American. See, that's the thing. We don't know. We don't know because we don't care. No, they're right. not even on my radar. Yeah, they're not on the radar. And so for me. It's almost like a tribute to say, hey, older fans, let's give you a game. But as far as importance to the game now, Indiana's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. I don't care. I caught some of the bigger games in the 90s. But for all intents and purposes, I could care less. Or was it I could care less or I couldn't care less? I could not care less. I think could not is the proper pronunciation. Let's go with that. I could not care less about playing Indiana. Would I rather play Indiana than Northwest, Tennessee, Knoxville State, whatever team that we schedule? <laughs> I don't know what I just made up. But, you know, would you rather play that than some of the home games we play? Sure. But I could care, I could not care less <laughs> about playing Indiana. And a home and home, why do we owe them a home and home? We don't owe them anything. If they want to come and play in Rupp Arena, fine, go for it. We don't need them. They need us. Exactly. More than we need them. I think you hit the nail on the head there that. This benefits Indiana more than it benefits us. Uh, if they won't come play us, fine. Now, I will say this particular proposal between Cuban and Cal that they were cooking up on Cal's show, Coffee with Cal, it does have me a little intrigued. If we could set this up so that this was the first game back from everybody being quarantined with no sports, nothing to watch, even without fans, wherever they want to play it, I think that would be really cool. Now that being said, I don't care if it's Indiana or Duke or who. Like, if we're playing the first game back for when all this is over, that's going to be awesome, regardless of the opponent. I don't care if it's Indiana though. But but why? Yeah, like you said, why does it have to be Indiana? If it's the first game back and we're all, we're all sitting here quarantined in our house, twiddling our thumbs, looking for things to do. Why don't we make it an even bigger game? I don't think Indiana has any level of excitement. We could play whoever 
and it be an exciting game. We're all itching for entertainment. Why does it have to be Indiana? Why don't we blow it out and make it the biggest game that's happened in college basketball in here? Why don't we do a Kentucky-Duke game? There's really only three or four programs that people nationally, even if they're not college basketball fans, will follow. They follow Kentucky, they follow Duke, they follow Kansas, and maybe North Carolina. North Carolina. Why don't we do something with that? Why are we even throwing Indiana in the conversation to be the first game of the year? Why don't we blow it out and do something bigger? I don't know. What do we owe Indiana? Why don't, as far as I know, we're not in debt to them in any way. Why do we even care? I think that's a very good point. Uh think really, I mean, the only reason we're talking about it is because Mark Cuban, uh, I think, sorry Mark, but you came up with this great idea, I think we're just going to steal it, but leave your team out of it. So, um, yeah, we are not going to invest in your proposal, yeah, Mr. I, Cuban. I'm out. I'm, I'm a hard pass. Yeah, I'm out on that one, for sure. I agree with you, I, I just don't see the need for it. Now, now one of the other interesting pieces of uh, news that came out was that it looks like the one-and-done rule, which... <laughs> gosh, love it or hate it, is going to be around for a while. They're not going to touch it for a long time as far as the you know the NBA negotiations and, and what they're going to do with the one-and-done rule. The world changed when the one-and-done rule went into place. And John Calipari definitely made a name for his teams and basically his coaching history with the one-and-done rule. I mean, what are your thoughts on the fact that this could go on for at least another five years. This there's no guarantee that it's going to happen after that. This this rule may stay in effect for even longer. I mean, what are your thoughts on it? I think this rule is great for the NBA because they basically get a year of seeing how guys do against better competition, how they do on a bigger stage. But what benefit is this really to college basketball? Okay, we get these guys for one year. Yeah, occasionally when you get a John Wall, a Zion Williamson that become a rock star, the ratings for college basketball are awesome, but those guys are few and far between. So basically the NBA is using college basketball as just kind of a litmus test for players to determine whether they want them in the league or not. It really hurts college basketball because you get guys who come in for a year and leave. You don't have any name recognition because every year we're seeing completely different rosters. Uh, honestly, I think this the one and done really hurts NCAA college basketball. And I, if I were president of the NCAA, this would be one of my top priorities with the NBA is say, hey, if you want these guys to come to college, they have to come for two years. They've got to be here at least two years. We're not doing one and done anymore. I, it really hurts the college game. I would like to see it as much as we've benefited from it in years with Wall and Davis and Cousins and Towns and all these guys, I think it hurts the game overall. What do you think? Well, <laughs> it's really interesting. If you're a UK fan, you just talked about a college player coming in and playing for a year as a litmus test to prove that they're ready for the NBA. Well, what in the heck do you say about guys like Khalil Whitney, who had the chance to be a starter at UK, proved he couldn't do it, left the team because he wasn't getting playing time because he didn't do it, and they still go. Is it a litmus test, or are some guys just going to go if they want to go? I don't think it's a litmus test at all. I think it's if guys want to make the money and their parents say, hey, son, yeah, you know, that Couch Calipari, I know he's a Hall of Famer and he's won so many games and he's coached uh, Derrick Rose and John Wall, DeMarcus Cousins, Anthony Davis, Carl Towns, Willie Cauley-Stein, uh, you know, De'Aaron Fox and everybody else. He doesn't know what he's talking about. He doesn't know. He's, he's 
boxes. Silly. The guy doesn't know he's... I know what. I know what's going on. It's just ridiculous. I don't even know that it's a litmus test. People, guys are just going. That's, that's true. Yeah. I mean, Khalil, man, just what, what a great teammate. My goodness. Wouldn't you have loved to have had him on your team? Well, so, so now you've thrown off on EJ Montgomery and Khalil Whitney. Is there anybody else? You want to talk about Brad Calipari? He's not even on the team. Do you want to say anything about him or? No, I'm good. I'm cool with Brad. You're cool with Brad. Okay, no, that's I, all right. I'm I'm good for now. Maybe next week's show I'll have some more. But I can't wait. <laughs> you can put some more money in the Tyler jukebox. Yeah, I will do that absolutely. But yeah, I, I mean, just the one and done rule. I think it was kind of cool when it first. So when John Wall got here, Demarcus Cousins came in. We were like, oh man, this is gonna be great. Right? I mean, we're going to reap the rewards of this for years to come. But I think what we're seeing now is the one-and-done rule is not just for the top-tier players. It's for the mid-tier players or the no players at all. Exactly. And it's it's to the point that I think a lot of fans are not happy with the way these, this, these teams are being built. I think fans want to see more Kentucky players being recruited. They want to see guys that stay two or three... Honestly, it seems that we are the only team that has this big of issues with players not staying. And maybe that's a topic for a whole well, other show. Well, let me ask you, as far as one and done, so there's the one and done when you're coming in as a freshman. If you look at it on the other side as a UK fan, there's a one and done with these grad transfers that are coming in. Well, let's be real. They're coming in for one year, and they're out. Are they older? Yes. But to UK fans... They're as new as the freshmen that are coming in. I mean, is there a difference there? Does that matter? Because right now, I feel like we're piecemealing our team together on extra used parts. This reminds me of the movie Apollo 13. I don't know if you remember this. Oh, I love Apollo 13. Okay, so they're trying to come up with this piecemeal approach to get carbon dioxide out of the shuttle, or whatever the heck you call I don't know my space terms. But they're trying to put all these pieces together to solve a problem, and it's not ideal, but it works. I kind of feel like that's the way that this UK team is being built. Everybody left, whether they should have left or not. Some people left halfway through the season. Some people left before they were ready. Some people maybe marginally when they were ready. But we're piecemealing this team together. We're taking in transfers, which is fine. We got we have to have players on the team. But I feel like we're just we're taking one-and-dones on the front end and the back end now. And I don't know if that's good for fans. We don't know who these guys are. Yeah, and I, I think Calipari puts himself in a very dangerous situation by doing this. That if if one or two guys that you think you're going to get, whether it be as coming out of high school or whether it be a grad transfer, if if one of those guys doesn't come, you're in a really tough spot because then where else do you go? And then you're ending up with the, you know we've only got five or six guys who can really play on a team because you've had everybody leave and you've put all your eggs in the grad transfer basket. I don't know. Hopefully it well, works out. Let's not forget about the transfer basket. We now have a, a third basket. We have a freshman basket. We have a grad transfer basket. And now with the new transfer rules, we have a transfer basket. So these players don't have to set out as long as they used to. Yeah, we are seeing a major change in college basketball. Those of us like a, like us who grew up uh, seeing three, four-year guys, I think we are... Officially at the point, we are never going to see that ever again. So I guess we just got to start getting used to it, Brandon. Okay. I'll suck it up. I'll do my best. Um, 
We'll continue with another segment here on the Lex Buds and Pick and Roll podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at LexBuds and at LexBuds.com for our latest articles and content. And we'll be right back after the break. Buzz and Pick and Roll podcast. The big thing that's on everyone's mind is how are we dealing with the coronavirus as of late and what are the new updates in the state? Our own correspondent here, Brandon, you took a little field trip up to Frankfurt this past week and recorded a little action going on with the protest. What what were they officially calling this protest? The the right to work? Or so, was... so this is the Kentucky is open for business. There we protest. go. That's it. And if you want to look at the, the video, it's on YouTube. If you just go to the search bar on YouTube and search LexBuds, you'll see that video plus our video from the Maryville Baptist Church a few days before and also our commercial at the UK Spring Game as well. So you can follow us on YouTube as well. It was an interesting day. First of all, when somebody told me there was a protest for Kentucky is open for business, I said, who in the H-E double hockey sticks, just for, you know, in case kids are listening, is going to show up to a protest right now? Even if you were for the Kentucky is open for business point of view, who's going to show up to a rally during a quarantine? To me, that was the biggest question. Those, those seems to be, uh, you know, conflicting ideas there that... You know, protest and quarantine don't don't seem to mix. They they don't mix at all. And I w- I just thought, you know, when we get here, what is there going to be fifteen or twenty people? Because you know, who's going to show up? So when I showed up, I got there about uh, maybe four o'clock or so. There were already close to a hundred hundred fifty people there. So I was surprised just at the initial crowd. I didn't realize how many people would show up. So there's obviously some kind of point of view here that's. Maybe we're not seeing because it, it completely blew away my expectations. And as the day went on, there were a lot more people that showed up. I would say, I tried to count at one point, I would say it's somewhere between maybe around 250 people total at the protest. So there were quite a few people considering there is a quarantine. And there were speakers present. If you go to the video, you'll see this. They had several different speakers present. Uh, including Representative uh, Savannah Maddox, who was kind enough to give us, give us an interview on that video. And once Andy Bashir's press conference started, we all know his press conference starts at 5 o'clock. Andy at 5, everybody's glued to their TV, right? That, that is correct, yes. I think everyone is aware, 5 o'clock, you know, the, you know, we have the shush, Andy is talking t-shirts, everybody knows where to be at 5 o'clock. Yeah, so at 5 o'clock... They make an announcement. Okay, we're shifting over. We're going to go to Andy's office. We're going to go over here, and we're going to try to make some noise, and we're going to make sure that our voices are heard. Now, to be fair, I know there's a lot of people out there that say, you guys are idiots. You guys are going to cause us to have to stay in quarantine longer. You're, you're hurting the state. You're hurting the country. But as I got to talk to them, there are some people there that are really starving for their work you know these are people that have built businesses their entire lives and they see them start to crumble underneath them i i told my wife this the other day i feel like it's kind of like a a dog that's starving or that's been hurt that's been put in a corner 
And when you have a starving, hurt dog, they get very angry. They And they become, a, not I won't say dangerous like somebody's going to hurt somebody, but they're going to start to make their voice heard. Absolutely. And, and that's kind of the gist from what I got from these people. It wasn't so much that they were just angry at Bashir. It could have been anybody in office. It could have been sure. Matt Bevan. If Matt Bevan had done the same shutdown, these people are still going to be hurting the same way that they were before. So a little after 5 o'clock, everybody starts to shift over to Andy Bashir's office, and they start to do their chance. There's a guy with some sort of horn thing. that, that I saw that, it. What was that thing? That was bizarre. <laughs> I don't know. It's something that you would see on some, like, island somewhere from a local that I, it's it's really hard to describe <laughs> unless you go watch the video again go to youtube and search lex budge you'll see it but he starts blowing horns they do chance but then there's somebody i can't remember who it was but somebody says hey there's a cracked window over here not only is there one cracked window there's two cracked windows there's a speaker system that the protesters are using they move that speaker system over to those cracked windows, which we now know were windows that were cracked in the press briefing room where Andy Bashir is doing his press conference. The reason they cracked those windows is because the lights that are in that press briefing room get the room so hot that they have to open the window. Uh, see, I did not know why, because you know, to me, you hear that there was an open window. Like, why on earth? You would think if they know there's protests going outside, why on earth open a window to make them to to, to make it the, the sound comes through? You could hear it on the TV, Brandon. I know you you were there, so you didn't get to see it. I mean, they were very very loud. You, I mean, there were times you could hear very clearly exactly what the protesters were chanting. Oh yeah, and and to be clear, I was not chanting with these protesters. I was just amazed at the moment because you cut. Andy doing his press conference 15 feet away from where these protesters are, and they are loud. And not only that, they're also streaming the press conference. So when Andy says, or let me not call him Andy, he's governor. Governor Bashir says, <laughs> hey, I know you hear a lot of noise. Well, these protesters hear that immediately, and they say, freedom's not noise. That's their next chance. So they're live streaming the, the press conference, and they are directly reacting to the words that Andy Bashir is saying. Interesting. And it is amazing. The coordinators of it, you know, it, it is kind of interesting because one of the people, one of the drivers of this protest, I also observed to be someone that showed up at the Maryville Baptist Church on Easter Sunday. Wow. So they were there and they were also at the protest. So that's something to keep in mind because... You know, I don't know if they're activists or, or, or anything like that. I didn't really dig into it, didn't really care. But the fact that you have a massive group of people, it's about 250 people, because I did try to get a count at one point. I stood up on, on the sides and tried to get a good view of everybody and do a count. The fact that you have these protesters 15 feet away from Andy Bashir doing his daily press conference and also talking about the people that are dying. Right. I know that's another point of contention. People say, how can you protest when he's talking about the people are, that are dying? That's a really... It's tricky for the protesters because when else are they going to protest to get their voice heard? That's, that's a very good point. I mean, if you're going to protest, you have to do it at a time that's most inconvenient for the person you're protesting against. Like, it does them no good to go protest at the Capitol at 7 in the morning. Correct. I mean, Governor Bashir's probably still in bed at that point. They, they've got to go at the time that they're going to get the most recognition for their cause. So I 
completely get why they chose 5 o'clock as the time. Mm-hmm. At the same time, it does look really, really bad when the governor is talking about the deaths of Kentuckians. He's saying the number, you know, their age, their gender, the county that they're from. When he's reading that off and you just hear people shouting and yelling, that part to me came across as a very, very bad look for the protesters. It came off uh, as insensitive. Again, I get why they chose 5 o'clock, but I, th- I think in that regard, I think that may have hurt their cause a little bit. I think people jumped on that and saw that as, hey, you're being insensitive to these families of people who have, who have passed. And I think they they might have gotten more people on their side had they not done that. Now, okay, a couple points there. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate. First of all, do you think that they were ever going to get more people on their side? Because let, let's face it, if you're dug in and you feel like you have to follow these policies or people are going to get killed, you're not going to move over because of a protest. I, I don't think there's any way that you do that. And, you know, the second thing is, if you're not going to do it when cameras are around, it's that old thing, if a, if a tree falls in the woods and nobody hears it, did it really fall? If you're going to get your voice heard, you have to do it when the cameras are on. That's your only chance. If you do it at 9 o'clock in the morning, that protest never happened as far as anybody's concerned. True, true. And I think what it may have done is it may have sparked a larger national debate because now we're seeing protests in Michigan, we're seeing protests in Texas, and these are Democratic and Republican governors of these states. So it's not like you know they're, they're protesting a certain party. They're protesting the right to feed their family. It, it's an interesting way to look at it, and it's not really popular. It's not a popular opinion by any matter. But I think it is starting to open up the questions of when are we going to start getting back to at least some sense of normalcy because we can't live this way forever. That's the, that's the gist that I got from the protesters was, okay, we did this for, we're going to do this for a month. We're doing it during the month of April. But we've got to open our doors at some point. This isn't a charity. We're here to make money, make profit. And if we're not doing that, then we we've got to shut down, you know. Yeah, uh, it, this is. I, I will go ahead and preface this by saying it's really easy for me to to have a stance on this because I am really fortunate to have a job that I can work from home. My income has not been affected one penny. If anything, my job security as a grant officer at UK has gotten better because we're getting all kinds of grants related to COVID nineteen funding. So my job security has never been better right now, honestly. Uh, so it's easy for me to say, to, to point the opposing view to these protesters. But when, when you hear the stories, you know, people that they've not had any income during this. Um, you know, we know there's unemployment. We know there's benefits available. But uh, I know, Brandon, I don't know if you know this, but sometimes the government is a little inefficient and slow to react to things Surely on not. both the state and national level. Uh, I know that's hard to imagine, but some people, believe it or not, have not gotten any unemployment checks. They've not gotten anything. They've not gotten their stimulus checks yet. Uh, so it's it really you you sympathize with them a lot, and I, I don't know, man. I I I go back and forth. Um, I, I think ultimately I come I look at it at the point of un, until we're on the downside of this thing, I, I don't see how you can reopen businesses. And then it's it's too 
how do you decide when to reopen them? At, at what point are you, you know, I, I know Governor Bashir came out with all the, the guidelines last week, but, you know, with, with everything, it's like, at what point do you decide it's bad enough? And then if you say, all right, if the stock market gets to this level, that it's, it's too low. Or if you say, all right, we've had too many businesses close. And then at that point, you say, all right, at this point, we have to open things back up. What if more people die? What if this thing comes back in... It's even worse than this first wave. And then that, to me, I feel like you're almost putting a value on human lives. That you're saying the economy can't get this bad. If it gets this bad, we can't recover. So if more people die, that's unfortunate. And, and to me, I don't think anybody can make that decision. Well, let's be real for a second. Okay, this, this whole situation is about balancing the number of lives lost versus gains on the other side. Because if you wanted everybody to live, you would keep everybody secluded in their house and they could never leave. So there is a, a concerted effort to balance the number of lives lost with the, the impacts in other areas. Local economies rely on sales taxes. If they're not getting the sales tax money, sales tax money your local governments are gonna crumble and they're, it's gonna be an absolute mess. So if you did keep everybody in their home in a bubble and nobody left for six months or however long it's going to take to get a vaccine, what in the world is your country going to look like when you come out of that bubble again and you look around and you say, wow, my local government's screwed, my 401k is tanked, I'm not going to be able to retire, and I have no business now. There is a balancing act there, and I feel sorry for whoever has to make those decisions, but reality is we make those decisions every day. If we really wanted to keep, you know, if we, first of all, we're concerned about every life, but if we're concerned about every life, why not lower the speed limit on the interstate to 20 miles an hour so nobody goes at a high speed? There's a trade-off in every single thing that we do, but we understand that there's going to be negative consequences here and there, but we still have to move forward. And I, you know, my fear is that if we don't move forward at some point, if we set, if we shut down the economy for six months, the country that we wake up to is going to look desolate, and it's not, and it's not going to be a good thing. Um, so I just worry about that from a business owner perspective, from a local government perspective. Uh, funding for different programs is going to completely go under, and people's retirement is going to be nothing like what it was. It, it hits on a lot of different levels, so I, I think there's a trade-off there no matter how you look at it. And I feel bad for Governor Bashir. Right, absolutely. I mean, my goodness, I mean... You know, every politician, every governor has had issues they have to deal with, whether it be, you know, are we going to raise the sales tax? Are we, are we going to build a bridge in this county? Are we going to repave the roads? Or, like, all these things that, you know, that matter, but don't have a direct life or death impact. And now we're seeing, unfortunately for Governor Bashir, he's put in a situation where this decision is going to decide, potentially, how many people die from this? And I mean, my goodness, I, I the 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 composure that he has kept during all this. I, I think, regardless of his decisions, I think you kind of have to admire um, the, the fact he he has still sh shown genuine concern. He he doesn't seem to be rattled by it. He still seems like he's trying to do the right thing and trying to do what's best for the state. Yeah, let let me ask this. Though. I have to ask this because this blew me away. 
So President Trump came out with guidelines that showed that, that I think there were 27 states that were pretty close to opening up based on their response to the COVID-19. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, well, Kentucky's going to be on that list because we were very early. We were very aggressive, more aggressive than most states. Right. And in some cases, people say, you know, we're ranked number one in our response to COVID-19. Yet we're not on that list of over half the states that have done a, a job well enough to open up the economy again. And that really shocked me. I'll be honest. I, I thought we would be at the top of the list. Really freaked me out. So how good has our response been? Uh, you know, is our response that we do good press conferences and we do good television appearances? Or are we actually doing a good job preventing the virus, you know, and, and what's going on? Because we're not on that list of states right now that could open up. And it's over half the country. How is Kentucky not seen as one of the, the states that are ready to be open? As I said, I had not actually seen that, so I uh, can't, can't comment on it on it too much. But I don't know. Uh, we, we, we've got a lot more to figure out. Our, our government has a lot more to figure out. Our governor has a lot more to figure out. And we obviously don't have to make those decisions. We Absolutely. Can, we can sit here and comment and give our solutions and what we think we should do. But let's just all hope and uh, pray that our, our leaders all do the right thing and uh, what, what's best for everybody, and we can come out of this soon. Because, man, I, I miss sports. I miss <laughs> yeah. being able to go sit at a restaurant. So let's just hope this, this ends soon. Absolutely. And I would just say, just in general, give everybody a little bit of slack here. Give the governor some slack. He's never had to deal with this. Probably didn't think he'd ever have to deal with this in exactly. his whole term. Give the governor some slack. Give the president some slack, because we've never done this before. Yeah, this okay? is new ground. Give him some slack. Give even the citizens of Kentucky a slack. Uh, some slack because it, you know if you're on Facebook and you see somebody posting back and forth about I don't agree with this I don't agree with that we're all new to this just cut everybody some slack because we don't really know we're trying our best this is a weird situation and we're trying to find our best way through it so just you know if you see somebody arguing on Facebook or on Twitter or Instagram or anything like that just say hey you know what we're all going to get through this together. That's together. an Andy term, right? Th very good, Brandon. See, thank you. I'm so proud. I of didn't you right even now. have to eat an Andy cake or cookie to come up with that. So that is episode three. Thank you all so much for listening to our podcast. Again, follow us at LexBuds.com for the latest content, including Tyler's Andy Mania article, which includes a picture of him eating an Andy cake and cookie, possibly. It was delicious. Let me tell you, uh, I got it from Tinkers, which is where my wife and I also got our wedding cake. It said, don't disappoint Andy on the cake. It was delicious. Uh, I washed it down with some of my Andy Kool-Aid that I've been drinking the last couple of weeks. <laughs> so, very enjoyable. Yeah, that's you're nuts, by the way. I just want you to know that. <laughs> also, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at uh, LexBuds. And make sure you subscribe and give us a review on the podcast. Give us a five-star review, even if you're never going to listen to us again, which we hope you do. Leave us a five-star review because that's going to help us grow our show. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Stay classy, Kentucky. Kentucky.